This podcast contains strong language and is intended for mature audiences. It is for entertainment purposes only. Okay, relationship show listeners, let's talk about sex. Wendy and I recently sat down with my old friend Janelle Watson of Just Embrace Wellness here in LA, and our conversation traverses a lot of varying terrain, but it's all kind of related. We talk about teen sex, sex education, how we can support the LGBTQ community, Planned Parenthood, and planning pregnancies. We share tips and resources for parents of LGBTQ youth, and Janelle explains to us what it takes to become a surrogate or egg donor. So really hope you enjoy our conversation, and let's get at it. We love multitasking. <laughs> That's how I live my life, unfortunately. <laughs> All right. So welcome back, podcast listeners. Thanks for tuning into The Relationship Show with Dr. Wendy and Miss Jenny. We're two LA-based psychotherapists hoping to help you improve the quality of your relationships to just about everything and everyone. I'm Jenny J.V. Wilson, a.k.a. Miss Jenny, as always with my co-host, Dr. Wendy O'Connor. Hey. And today we're talking with licensed marriage and family therapist Janelle Watson on a veritable cornucopia of topics because I can talk to this woman about a million things for a million hours. (laughs) So I'm really happy that you're here with us. And today we are going to be talking about, and not limited to, how to be an LGBTQ ally, Planned Parenthood in the state of sex education in the U.S., and... The impact of fertility issues on relationships. So a little bit of everything. Awesome. I'm excited. So I'm going to give a little bit of bio here for you. Is that okay, Janelle? Of course. Is it going to make you embarrassed if I say a lot of nice things about you? I love it when you say nice things about me. So I could use a dose today. (laughs) Okay. So Janelle began working in the nonprofit public health sector in 2006, spending the better part of a decade providing education and training on sexual and reproductive health issues, including healthy relationships, family communications, social justice, and self-awareness. Her impressive background includes working for almost seven years at Planned Parenthood before earning her master's in clinical psychology, specializing in LGBTQ affirmative therapy and applied community psychology. She interned at AIDS Project LA, worked with UCSF Alliance Health Project as a social worker, and with Seneca Family of Agencies in Oakland, California as a therapist, supervisor, and care coordinator. She recently returned here home to Los Angeles, where she founded Just Embrace Wellness, where she offers private practice services to services to individuals, couples, and families, as well as trainings and workshops on a variety of topics around sexual and reproductive health. And she also provides fertility counseling at a local fertility agency here in Los Angeles. So welcome, Janelle. <laughs> Thank you. Oh my gosh, that's I can't take enough notes. I like to, you know, sometimes I don't. Uh, I like to to start the show fresh. I don't really like to look at any bios or anything, and so mm-hmm. I'm kind of taking notes as Jenny's talking, and I'm like, oh, okay, forget it. I just I'm just gonna sit and listen. <laughs> you do so many incredible things. How do, how would you summarize what you do if somebody just meets you for the first time? If somebody just meets me for the first time, I usually just say I'm a therapist, and then I usually have to clarify and say that I am a mental health therapist, not a massage therapist or um, anything like that. Um, so I just usually stick it stick to therapist. And then if I'm talking to somebody that I know a little bit better, 
or we are closer, then I might go into more detail about the different things that I do. Cause I think that it's hard to elevate a speech, <laughs> the things that I do uh, in a good way, in, in the best way possible. Yeah. And it sounds like you're really passionate about all of the areas that you work in. I am, you know, I'm one of those people who have been fortunate enough to only have ever worked jobs that I am passionate about. I don't think I've ever worked a job. I mean, outside of being a teenager and doing retail and food service and things like that, I have only ever had really meaningful career moves. And it that's something that was super important to me. I'm like, if I'm going to show up every day and you're going to, you know, take up 40 hours at least of my week every week for the rest of my life, I want to be passionate about it. And I want to, you know, get up and can't wait to do it. Oh, that's wonderful. So tell us a little bit about how you came to do this work that you're doing, besides it just being led by the passion to do something you could do. <laughs> the passion you. from within. That's right. Um, I actually, I would say it, was, it started back in undergrad. So I went to undergrad at UC Berkeley and I took a course called Female Sexuality or Femsex, we shortened it to. And it introduced me to just how ill-informed I was about my body and myself and the things I could do as a woman. And so I knew that I wanted to continue on that route. And so after graduating undergrad, I went to, I went back to LA because I'm originally from here. I moved back to LA and I started working at Planned Parenthood. And I said, you know, I really love the idea of being able to bring sexual and reproductive health information and services to people who really need it and who don't really have access to it otherwise. And so I started at Planned Parenthood working in the clinics, so doing a lot of um, information about uh, sex, well, some sex ed, but mostly of like STD testing, pregnancy testing, um, well women exams, things like that. And so I loved it. But I knew that I was only reaching the people who knew about the clinics and who were coming to the clinics. And so I decided to make a shift and move to the community education department and go out into the community to let people know about services and let people know about information. And I think that was probably when the the biggest fire was lit because you are coming into people's spaces and talking to them about how to talk to youth about sex and reproduction relationships and things like that. But you found that the parents and the providers that you were talking to were also pretty ill-informed or didn't know much because they never got sex ed. They never got that information. So it turned into, this is how you talk to a youth, but let's go over here and let's talk, let's talk about what you know and how I can help you get more information for you so that you can feel more comfortable talking to them. And that, I think, is what led me to wanting to be a therapist, because in speaking to big audiences, you find yourself wondering, like, well, is this landing right? Is this appropriate for where they're at in their lives? And unfortunately, you can't go to each individual person in a group and make it tailor-made to that person. So I thought that by being a therapist, that would be the perfect opportunity to be able to sit down with that person, with that family, with that couple, and talk about what is really going on for them and how I can help, I can help them tailor it to their values and what they need. So do you work with a lot of trauma as well? I used to work with a lot of trauma in my previous position. So when I used to work in the Bay Area, 
Um, I worked at an agency that served youth and families. Most of them, almost all of them were involved with Department of Family Services or juvenile justice or um, some adoptions. And it was, you know, filled with trauma. I mean, that is something that I don't think that one can come out of a situation like that without having had some sort of, of trauma involved. And it was very difficult to try to talk about some of the, the I guess the more flowery things that you want to talk about, like, oh, who am I? Where am I in this world? Yeah, the when, existential questions. Yes, yes, yes. It's, it's really hard to ask those questions when the big question is, well, when is my dad getting out of jail? How are we going to make rent? You know, um, I was molested by a family friend that still comes around and my mom doesn't believe me. You know, like it's really hard to 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 in, insert those things when it's like, no, actually, we need to we need to deal with some of this. So for sure, I want to actually talk a little bit about Planned Parenthood just at the top. And let's just sure look at this because it's been in the news a lot. Funding has been being cut off and. um and we know that many states are limiting or eliminate or eliminating access to um, termination of pregnancies and abortions. Um, so I, I, I'm very passionate about this. I just actually just got my <laughs> thank you letter from Planned Parenthood from mm. my donation. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping maybe you could shed some light on what people most often get wrong about Planned Parenthood and, and the services that they provide? You know, I think the number one thing is that the only service that Planned Parenthood provides is abortion, which is probably the biggest misconception of them all. And it couldn't be further from the truth because I know when I worked there, I I had two full-time jobs, you know, two, two very different jobs that I did at Planned Parenthood. And I'm only one person and abortion didn't, wasn't any of them. <laughs> so uh, it, it definitely is a, is a misunderstanding that that is the one, one service that is provided that eclipses the hundreds of things that Planned Parenthood is able to offer. And I say hundreds because there are so many people out there who need whether it's pregnancy testing, whether it's um, STD screening, whether it's counseling around finding out that you have a positive STD screening, or if it's talking about relationships, if it's, you know, looking for ways to affect your community and wanting to be a volunteer with Planned Parenthood. There's so many things that they do for their surrounding communities that unfortunately don't get highlighted nearly enough. And I think the fact that the majority of the people who are able to go and access those services are able to do so either free or at low cost is also something that doesn't get talked about nearly enough. It, it, it's, it's mind boggling that one service or one thing about an entire organization and, and, and it's, I'll say an organization, an entire organization is just it. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. you know, I, I when uh, I I had an abortion when I was a, a teenager and was I got my pregnancy test, the blood test, and the results at a Planned Parenthood. But mm. where I grew up, Planned Parenthood didn't actually provide mm. the abortions. I had to I went to an outside place, but they provided all the testing, and and it was also where I got birth control. Mm. Uh, which I had gone off when I got pregnant. Um, but, you know, it was 
for a scared teenager, it was a really important, important place for me and um, service to have access to. Absolutely. Safe and non-judgmental. You know, I mm -hmm. work with a lot of teens and young adults and um, Planned Parenthood provides so much support. And you have these kids who are scared about STDs or pregnancies or not wanting to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. They can't talk to their parents, um, you know, boys who need condoms, I mean, yeah. you know, or just education, you know, just mm -hmm. regular sex ed that yeah. schools just absolutely are not covering. They're still kind of just just touching lightly on the subject and then going yeah. go 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 to lunch or go to your biology class now, whatever. But you know, they're not they're not really there's so much work to be done. Yeah. And, and it goes level. hand in hand. The the clinical services that are available, the education that is provided, those things work together. And I think that the most frustrating thing about this is when you're talking about potentially taking away the services that Planned Parenthood provides, the question that I always have is, okay, well then what are you gonna put in place of it? What are you gonna do or what's gonna be there for people? Because I understand that you know there are some people who really believe that saying a message or sending a message of abstinence only is just the way to go. And you know, I would agree with you if everybody were able to or interested or wanted to not have sex until they were married or whatever version of being in a monogamous committed relationship is, sure, that would be great because if you are not in any contact with any bodily fluids or with that other person, sure, you're not gonna get STDs, you're not gonna get pregnant, but that is not reality. And in reality, people do express themselves with their partner, with their significant other, with somebody that they are close to in a physical way. And in order to do that in a safe way, they need to know what's out there. They need to know what they are, what they are able to do and what those options are. And even in situations of non-consensual activity happening, hello, you know, like there need to be things out there for that person to be able to go to, to make sure that, you know, they are getting tested, they're getting treated if they come positive with something, if they're pregnant, that they're able to have options available to them to be able to live the life that they want to live before somebody decided that they were going to make choices for them or take their choice away. And so not having this available is really frustrating because if it's not there, it's only going to make things worse. And just because it's there doesn't mean you have to utilize it. If you don't want an abortion, don't have one. You know, if you don't think people should have birth control, then don't take birth control. But don't take away my choice and my ability to live the life that I want to yes. with the resources that I know I have access to. And the sad thing is, or the frustrating thing as therapists, is that these parents have no idea their kids are coming to us mm. and, and, and they're so fearful, mm -hmm. but they can't talk to the parents. And I think because right. the parents never got it. Right. I know, you know, I'll have teenagers come in and girls will say, oh my gosh, I fooled around with this boy and he ejaculated on my knee. Am I going to mm -hmm. get pregnant? Mm -hmm. Well, here's the thing. When I was growing up, I had an older sister, but she didn't really educate me. My mom is an Irish Catholic, you know, like, oh, my God, we don't talk about sex. And then I could relate because when I fooled around with a boy and he came on my knee, I said, oh, my God, I'm 
going to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. So I could relate to that girl, you know, and it was yep. so refreshing to have such an open discussion to get on the website. I go with my teens and we sit at my computer and we'll say, let's explore Planned Parenthood. Let's mm-hmm. look, let's educate. Maybe we can connect. But these kids still come in one by one, teenagers and even young adults who mm-hmm. are so lost and, yeah. and need that education. I want to ask you really quickly about sex. Can we get into yeah. sex? Spinderella cut it up one time. Let's sure. talk about sex. Let's talk about sex. Um, Let's get in there. One of the things, two things I want to ask you. So in schools, I heard um, over a radio, they were doing some discussion about sex ed. And they said now in certain countries, they're talking about anal sex as uh is uh, sharing with girls that's okay to do because that means you're not losing your virginity Mm. so they taught that in schools that if you're going to do anything you can do everything um but not vaginal sex so so anal sex is okay so everything (laughs) but means in the butt in the butt (laughs) everything but b-u-t-t yeah um so do you know anything about that is being taught in schools at all um Catholic that schools. <laughs> is not something that is being taught. You know what's interesting about that is I have heard that more from uh, people and or organizations who talk about how terrible, you know, vaginal intercourse is and the judgment around that and pregnancy. And so of, as ways of getting around that and being able to get around that judgment or being able to to declare I am still a virgin some people have chosen to engage in anal sex and, you know, what have you. And, and, and as far as it being taught in schools, I mean, when I was teaching sex ed in school, that's definitely not the, the way that we, we did it and the way that we talked about it. The way that we talked about it is here are ways that people are able to physically, you know, express their, their sexuality and, if somebody wants to do it, then here are ways that you can do it in a safer way. In a consensual um, always, way. Yeah. That is one yeah. way to do That is one connecting. way, but in no way has, I mean, I'm going to go out there and say there is no way that somebody is going out into classrooms and saying, hey, kids, go, go have anal sex because it's a better way for you to get around whatever than having vaginal. If anything, anal sex is the most risky that you can have because the tissue in the anus is so delicate and so easily torn. So that's actually not, if anything, you know, if somebody wants to engage in something that's a lower risk, then, you know, you're talking about oral sex, you're talking about digital, you know, you're talking about uh, masturbation, you're talking about those things, but anal, that, that preach sounds it. like somebody who's Go ahead, preach it. <laughs> I, look at how you just ran away. Just yes, went, bam, 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 bam. And it's the longstanding kind of, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, that was, you know, that was what the girls who didn't want to lose their virginity and they usually were at the Catholic private schools yeah, yeah, yeah. did. And yeah. And I, I, it always struck me as just crazy. Like, like that's okay. Yeah. It I, was a religious story, by the way. I think it was. Yeah. Um, I, what I also want to say is, I'm uh, so uh, Jenny and I worked at an organization, a nonprofit organization for many, many years. These mm-hmm. were inner city kids, multicultural. These are uh, kids in juvenile hall, gang kids. They're they're at, um, you know, just just inner city, really hardcore kids who had to grow up very fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of them were Hispanic or African-American. Um, and I in 
18 years of being at that organization, I've never, ever heard of uh, these kids talking about anal sex. I'm not, I'm, you know, if they did it, they did it, but they never talked mm-hmm. about it. But mm-hmm. in my private practice uh, over many years, the uh, issue of anal sex instead of vaginal sex so that you can stay a virgin definitely mm-hmm. throughout the years came up with higher socioeconomic and Caucasian girls, white mm-hmm. girls, you know, Caucasian kids. So mm-hmm. it's interesting. I don't know if that, if you've heard of that or if there's multicultural trends or socioeconomic differences. Yeah. You I just know, thought that was very interesting. That is, That is really interesting. And, and, you know, I can only speak as from my experience, but growing up, you know, when black girls would talk about sex, it was definitely spoken about in a very different way. And there were some things where it's just like, you did not talk about that stuff. You did not talk about oral sex. You did not talk about anal sex. And, and it was gross. And it was like, ill. who would do that? That is, you know, whatever. Behind closed doors, I'm pretty sure, you know, people were singing a different tune, but it definitely wasn't something that they were openly like bragging about that they did, yeah. you know, and, and maybe these days it's a little bit different because things are a lot more out there and you have better access to loads of things, whether it's what people are doing or what people are saying they're doing, or if we're talking about porn or if we're talking about whatever, a lot of it is now very, very much accessible. And so maybe the conversation has shifted and people are okay with saying that they do these things. And to be honest, I, I would much rather people just go ahead and say that they're doing it so we can know how to help them. Yes. So it's like, okay, cool. That's what we're doing. Okay, great. Let's talk about this. Because I don't want you to say, no, I'm not doing anything. And then putting yourself at risk or, you know, there are things going on that could have been prevented or, yep. you know, maybe you're in a relationship or a situation that you kind of don't want to get into anymore and you don't know how to get your way out of it or you don't know how to navigate that relationship like talk more not less and janelle just uh, jenny i don't know if you're seeing this in your practice so many people are not using protection oh Mm. yeah Mm. especially the addicts that i work with i'm sometimes stunned i've talked to groups of young people recovering addicts who were talking about these issues and about sex Mm. and safe sex and i i sometimes am stunned that I have to have these conversations with people that are in their 20s but it is a different generation and I I always try to allow for that as well that there are things that I don't know what they got and what they didn't get education wise Mm -hmm. but I've heard one too many times like well you know there's just no long-term consequences so you get a disease it's like so you take some antibiotics you get a pill Mm -hmm. so you know and they they just think that so many of these things well you just you know you can just take care of it Yeah. And I mean, this is a very select population that I am talking about. This is, you know, it's not everybody of their generation, but Mm -hmm. I'm sure that they are not alone. Um, But here we are, a Generation Z, right? Gen Z, these kids now that are coming up. And you would think, you would hope that, you know, with all the education and all the resources that, you know, we could we we could be a little bit further with Casual sex or, you know, it's it's fine if it, you want a relationship, great. If you want casual sex, just you want to have sex with a whole bunch of people. Protection. Mm-hmm. Just, it's just so don't there. have sex if you have an open wound in your <laughs> genital area. You know what's interesting, though? And I, I, I can't cite any um, articles or anything about it. But I know that with HIV and 
the hard work that has been done to destigmatize having HIV because it, it, it was a hard, hard road that is still, you know, it's still in progress. But I think that the way that people think about HIV or deal with having an HIV diagnosis and understanding that it is not an automatic death sentence, I want to say that the the blessing and the curse about that is that people are less afraid when they get this diagnosis and that they know that they have medication and we have prep and we have all this stuff. I mean, you got Truvada commercials on, you know, in the middle of the day, but the opposite side of that is there may be some who, because they didn't grow up in the era where it was so scary, that it's also not seen as kind of a big deal. So if I'm having unprotected sex, kind of like Jenny, what you were saying, like, I'll just take a pill. I'll just have to do, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, there's a piece of you that wants people to be that at ease with STDs. Yes. You don't want to be scared of it. And you don't want to feel like you're scarred for the rest of your life and a dirty person. But then you also want to go, yeah, but you don't have to get it. <laughs> and right. it's, it's still something that can be prevented by doing X, Y, and Z. So it's like, it's like, yay, but no. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And, and even that's just in, in no. someone saying, oh, you know, he has HIV. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, oh, you know, tell me a little bit about whatever. Well, it's okay. They're taking a medication for it. It's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, and it really is kind of now they're talking about it up there like crabs or herpes or, mm-hmm. you know, it's and you're right. You know, the scared straight aspect of it is is not there as much. You know, there used to be yeah. billboards and, you know, really like and just uh, in the gay community. But mm-hmm. You know, do you remember like in West Hollywood, just like two men and holding hands and like, you know, did they tested? Yeah. Yeah. And and, but, you know, on the other hand, there's dating sites. And so everybody is positive. And so that's Mm -hmm. nice that that, that's disclosed, Um, you know, but I just take all of it seriously. And yeah. And and I I think for the Gen Z, you know, we we have this is such an empowering generation we have here. They're really going to change everything. They're ready to vote, you know. They're they're uh, they're coming up on a lot of change, and so I love your mission to continue to keep this very relevant and current, especially with the young ones. Mm-hmm. So you were just talking about the billboards in West Hollywood. So this is another area that I know you are well versed and trained in. So. Um, the LGBTQ uh, arena, um, and this is Pride Week or Pride Month. Woo! Right, it's not Pride yes. Week. Pride, Pride Month. Pride Month. Yep. Pride so, Life, girl. <laughs> it's been there. Yeah. Um, so uh, I just thought I would ask you just a couple of questions on your thoughts of what are some of the unique mental health issues that LGBTQ um, the community needs to be considering or that you, that might present even in therapy in in the room it doesn't have to be strictly the sex education I, I'm also mm-hmm. interested in the mental and relationship yeah issues that come up you know what's interesting I think one of the things that is so different and when when I was in grad school and we were talking about this it just it just made so much sense why it can sometimes be so hard to get help or assistance. And it's folks who belong to the LGBTQ communities have every single issue that those of us who are outside of those communities have, right? We all are living and going through life pretty similarly, pretty the same. We're all human beings and we all have 
stuff. But the, the big difference is that the moment that somebody is either perceived or has come out as LGBTQ, their support potentially drops at a drastic rate. And you have some who have very supportive families and, you know, everybody gets along and it's great. But you have a good majority of people in to this day in 2019 who turn their back against people who are LGBTQ. You have family members that were perfectly fine and and happy. And I'm using air quotes until they find out something about that loved one. And now all of a sudden things are different. And so I think that the fact that you can't, you know, struggle with anxiety and struggle with depression and also have your family support or also have your network of support or be in fear of losing your job or being in fear of losing your housing or what have you, I think is a really huge thing. And I don't think that people pay enough attention to that, that the the fact that that is always looming, if let's say you haven't been open or vocal about that part of your life or open or vocal about your identity in that way, that that's always a constant thing that's looming. And it, of course, has an effect on one's mental health. And it, of course, has an effect on how close you want to get to somebody. Or if you live in a town where there aren't a lot of, of people who are similar to you and you have to do everything in secret and you're worried about finding out. So it's like being able to have somebody come out of that space and come into a therapy office, which, by the way, I mean, if you're somebody who, let's say, is not out or out, not open, the idea that you're going to have them go and walk into the LA Gay and Lesbian Center and seek therapy, like, are you serious? Yeah, right. <laughs> so, or go to a therapist as a teen and you know on some level that your therapist does communicate with your parents, like, how how open or how honest do you think that I'm going to be? Like, I'm, I might be, I might be very open and very free to, to speak to you, but there might be some stuff that I choose not to tell you because- Again, I don't want to I don't want you turning away from me like other people did. I don't want you to be able to tell somebody that I just said this thing and then they have turned away. So I, I think that that that's one of the bigger things that I found is that the the worry or the dealing with the aftermath of losing one's support or, um, you know, the things that they need in order to thrive, because getting help via therapy, the majority of it happens outside of the therapy room. You know, you're only with me for an hour once a week and we can do great things and have great conversation. But the rubber hits the road when you leave and and being able to sustain or to continue to do some of the things that we've worked on in session. And if you can't do that, you know, it's like it's like you're coming in for session one every every time. So and these issues also affect uh I mean, they affect the community at large, but they com- connect subgroups of uh, minorities, of 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 uh, Hispanic and African Americans at, at larger percentages. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's always been that was something that stuck with me from grad school. That was um, really overwhelming. Were the, how the statistics just showed that the largest amount of homeless and disenfranchised. Mm-hmm. Uh, youth on the street were um, LGBTQ plus kids who had been cast out of their their homes that were very yeah. religious, you know, especially like in the Hispanic community and, and in the African-American community. And um, 
it's just heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And then you have a lot of folks who are using substances, you know, and trying to, to get some sort of happy in their life or trying to numb, you know, the pain that they're in on a, on a regular basis constantly, or, you know, that's the way that they're able to open up and, and be sexually freer and be, you know, in an intimate situation with another person or, you know, there's just, there's just so many layers of, of pain and, and, and things that are going on simply because they dare to realize who they are and who they've always been. And in, in a world where, you know, this very cis normative and is very heterocentric and is for as much as folks like to say that they are very welcoming and tolerant and acceptant. And I'm using air quotes again. <laughs> I, I don't need you to tolerate my existence, but what have you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. So it is. It is that word tolerate. Yes. That is the word it's, that people you know, use. Like, and I like and that it, you said uh, that I don't need you to tolerate it. I, do, I don't, I don't, I just need you to not get in my way. I need you to not try to stop me from, from living, living life the way that I want to live or being the person that I know that I am. And for other people to feel like they have the right to, to do that is, is, is baffling. And, and even, even when I look at, cause I belong to a couple of um, therapist uh, groups, like on Facebook and things like that. And to see so many people who say things like, well, you know, I'm just so tired of people like throwing it in your face or like pushing it down your throat or like, it's like always there. And, and it's like, so are you, you're You're pushing it down my throat. Every time you talk about your husband, every time you talk about your, you know, your kids, or you talk about, you know, being pregnant or it's like, it's like white privilege. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is. It is always there. You are pushing your life and your lifestyle choices down my throat. And so for somebody who's in the LGBT community, they have every right to do exactly what you're doing without thinking, without uh, another thought. And Have you noticed um, that more commercials are very LGBTQ uh, yeah, friendly it. now? Yeah. It's really exciting and I daring. Have, I have noticed that. And, you know, to, and if I'm being honest, Please. I mean, I also know that there are some who definitely are doing it because it is the trendy thing to do, mm-hmm. but I'll take it, you know? Yeah, yeah and, exactly. Yeah, you know, it's in. It's very, uh, very current. Well, it's to, the same thing. I yeah, like you see it. more interracial couples. And, you- I, and I also like, because um, there are some organizations that like have Twitter accounts and they'll respond to people's negativity. Like, I like when those commercials go up and people go, oh, I'm not going to support them anymore. I'm not going to do. And then they clap back with, okay, bye. Yeah. Don't. Now those I I love. I love, I love, I love, I love. So not only that you'll put it out there, but you will defend it and you will, you know, double down on it and say, well, sucks to suck, but this is what's going on. Right. These are our customers and these are people and they deserve to have representation and see, you know, themselves on TV as well, just like you. And I'm like, yes, snaps, yes, do it. <laughs> I also so. think that outreach is so important and the education again. That's why it's wonderful, you know, mm-hmm. that you are also in the community and, and talking to people. Um, I know at Apple, they currently had um, two transgender people go and they had like an open discussion where they invited all the employees to go and these 
I think they're also YouTubers or influencers or whatever, mm-hmm. very well known. And, um, and they just shared about their life and then took tons of questions. And it was mm-hmm. just like a rap session. And I know mm-hmm. people walked away very empowered, educated, like an awareness they never had before. So, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, RuPaul did the same thing at um, my husband. Sorry, I'm not throwing that in anybody's face. <laughs> my mm-hmm. husband was. My husband. <laughs> but this I'm going to throw in your face. He was working <laughs> on a project over at Bad Robot. Okay. Uh, and they had, RuPaul was around one day to do that same thing, sort of a question and answer and sort of just talk to people and about yeah. a variety of subjects because RuPaul can talk on a thousand things, but um, also it's the representation. That said, you know, we're talking about LA and also what we see on our TV. And I, I sometimes forget that some of those commercials may not be airing nationally i hope they Mm -hmm. are and we live in such a bubble sometimes and i think oh yay it's getting better and then i kind of cross the border into another state (laughs) yeah a state line and i'm like oh or county line sometimes and even here um but kind of like we're talking about before too about the gen z i'm i'm hopeful I'm hopeful that younger generations that it's that we're normalizing things for mm-hmm. people in a way that someday they're going to kind of laugh and shake their head that it was ever a thing, yeah. even though it's this horror. It's been a it's been a horror for many people that you know that they've really had to struggle and face these kinds mm-hmm. of prejudices and bigotry. But I, I do hope we can look back someday and and kind of laugh at how awful and stupid people were. Yeah. Well, and my, my whole thing about it is it's, it's kind of like, um, what's that saying? Measure twice, cut once. I really feel like people need to listen twice and speak once. Like, I think that when you are in an oppor- when you have an opportunity to learn something from someone else about something you know not of, it is not an opportunity for you to then speak up and then start to insert or say or you know yes but or anything like that I think it's the time to to listen to what it is that that person wants and that's that that's kind of my stance as well as like this whole like idea of being an ally for example like I one I have never identified myself or claimed to be an ally until someone actually called me that and I felt like that is a label that the the group that you are allied to gets to bestow upon you. I think too often people think that they are allies because whatever, yeah. because they have a cousin, because they have a yes. so-and-so, or because yes. they have yep. a bumper sticker. And it's like, yeah, but what what is it that you're doing to make somebody feel safe? What is it about you that is a safe space for that group that you claim to be allied to? Because if they haven't told you that, or if they haven't... Um, shown you that they feel safe or anything like that, I would not go around calling yourself an ally. I would I would sit back and take it all in and just pay attention to what's going on and read the hell out of the room because <laughs> when one wants to step in the forefront and say, well, I'm an ally, first of all, an ally's position is not at the front. So if you're at the front, you're already going wrong as it is. So Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I see a teenager who is uh he identifies as gay but um 
you know, he's uh, he has educated me so much. He's, you know, never assume that I know, you know, my clients are the experts. So I, I, I'm so blessed and grateful to do what I do. But uh, anyway, so so Pride Month was coming and um, and the Pride Parade in West Hollywood was around and um, he's Hispanic and the parents are very old school Hispanic, but they know mm-hmm. their son is uh, uh, not straight. <laughs> they, they know mm-hmm. that. Um, and it's just not talked about. And um, he, anyway, so he desired to go to the Pride weekend with his friends and the mom really wanted to share it. She's learning and trying to understand what this means to him. Um, he's come home with makeup and she has found, you know, experimental toys and he's growing up. He's growing up. He's finding himself and he's appropriate with, you know, his his privacy, his space. Um, so here I am, just a therapist trying to understand what he needs and so I'm, you know, so excited. They're all going to go to Pride and happy, happy, mm-hmm. little white straight me. <laughs> Yay, everybody <laughs> Pride. Woo. And um, he said, could could I have some time alone with you? And I said, sure. It was a family session and put mom in the waiting room. And he said, um, I don't want her to go to Pride with me. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that coming. Yep. Yeah. And he said, and I don't. I wouldn't want my mom to go with me. <laughs> no. Don't bring around a cloud to rain on my parade. Oh, and and I understood that part, um, but because I guess I got excited that like they're learning acceptance and 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 how to how to be there for him, and and so I missed the boat, and so he said I don't even know I want her to know I'm going to pride. I don't want yeah. her to know any part of that part of my life. Mm. I'm still learning about it, and he and so. I was so grateful that he felt safe enough to educate me about this another layer. It's not just, ooh, we're out and let's go and yeah. go to a parade and then just move on with our life. No, you know, he, yeah. he's sharing about uh, all these things he wants to learn about, you know, makeup and heels and clothes. Mm. And, you know, he, he might be trained. He's not sure yet, but he yeah. definitely wants to keep this safe and private. Mm-hmm. And any teen, you know, they want to anyway have their privacy in their space. But, but, but for him to educate me, like it's not all happy and roses and woo, a little flag. Yeah. And yeah. I was so grateful to be like, let me slow down. And what he did was he lied to his mom and he said, I'm just going to a friend's house. And then he went and spent the whole weekend at Pride. Mm-hmm. He did it his way. And I yeah. respect that. Yeah. And then she texted me and she said, you know, he's at Pride. He didn't tell me. And, and uh, you know, and she just didn't know where he was. And so I texted yeah. him. Could you please just tell your mom you're okay? Cause, <laughs> you know. But well, yeah. I always have to remember to kind of check in with the parent because if a this has happened many times when parents have come to me and told me that their child has come out to them. My first yeah. response is, congratulations! <laughs> yes! Yes! Like, I'm so excited for you. Yes. Yeah. And they're like, uh, you know, but I, then I'm like, all right, well, wait a minute. How do you feel about it? Yeah. Right? Yeah. But because yeah. I, I, it means so many things to me personally in my own life. But at the same time, I, I, I think that also says something about how your child feels about you that they are coming to you mm-hmm. and sharing this thing that has for so long. You know, I I know I'm older than you, Janelle, <laughs> um, but you know, in my generation was 
something that my friends weren't doing until they were in their late 20s, you know, 30s. Yeah. 20s you know, would be, yeah. 30s. Yeah. Um, 40s, you know, 50s. Yeah, I mean, just, yeah, you know, later. So that's, that your child would come out to you, mm-hmm. especially, you know, when they're a teenager I, I, or in their early 20s to me is, like, that's kind of a badge of honor that the parent can wear you know that yeah. the child feels that comfortable and trusting and at the same time then I have to kind of reel them back when they want to tell everyone and their kid is like no I'm not ready yeah yeah it's like this is not your thing to say totally yes and that's hard that's hard too because obviously a parent's gonna have things they need to process right right and and it's, it's so funny when you were saying the thing about um you know him not wanting his his mom to be there and it's like you know maybe I want you to be there for me or show that you support me in another way. That's not, you know, showing up and trying to be like, woo, yeah, we're not we're waving the flag thing. <laughs> like, yeah, like maybe, you know, the next time I talk about, you know, liking somebody, don't assume that it's a girl or, you know, if I want to bring somebody home that don't make a face, you know, and, and be like, okay, cool. And, and also being able to have your own, I guess I'm venturing into tips for parents, but like, have your own support system as well that you can talk to because sometimes you're going to say some messed up stuff or you're going to your initial reaction might be something that's not super supportive and that's okay it's fine for you to have your feelings but maybe if there's an an outlet or somewhere you can get that out or process that like out loud before saying it to your kid and giving them kind of that raw reaction that might not be very helpful that's great that's a great tip and p flag p flag (coughs) is where i usually send them first you know there are there are meetings and groups and resources especially Mm -hmm. if they don't want you talking to other people in the family or your community Mm -hmm. you know as the kid is getting more comfortable what's the youth group um i often refer to i was going to look but uh it's a at the lgbtq center and it's like all for teens is Hmm. it something insight or not uh, i can look it up but it's a wonderful program and it's teens it's not just counseling it's tutoring it's Mm -hmm. uh, music it's art it's a whole rec center awesome and uh and it's really terrific and and parents are are really supportive and willing to not even get into the kids' business, but just drop them off and pick them up. Yeah, and yeah. and so there's more resources that way as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as somebody who is child-free, and um, <laughs> although we did try for a, a short minute to get pregnant, seriously, only because people were sort of well, not only, but primarily because people were always pressuring us, and you'd be mm. the best parents, which is something that's really kind of annoying and oppressive yeah. it's sweet i know where it comes from yeah. um but it also it's another matter of choice it's also kind of uh, dismissing somebody's choice but you know we thought yeah okay maybe we should try and <laughs> you know we, I, we went and we went through the process and i always thought well if it doesn't work out and we decide we really want to have a kid i want to adopt an lgbtq or you know mm-hmm. foster adopt an lgbtq kid you know, for all the reasons that I've kind of already spoken about. But that process of going through trying to get pregnant was interesting and something I am very grateful for, even mm. though we didn't come out on the other end with our with the child. 
because I can relate to clients and friends and others who are going through that. But I know there's lots of things that I, I don't know from personal experience and, and that Mm -hmm. you work with couples who are dealing with fertility issues. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what a couple might want to consider when they're going through the process of starting to get pregnant. Yeah. Um, start a family. (laughs) Let me, uh, clarify really quickly though. I, another role, another hat that I wear is I actually do the screenings for people who want to be surrogates and egg donors. And so I don't uh, work directly with the, the couple who would be the recipient or the one who's, who's looking to parent. But I will say that in working in this field and working in this industry, there are so many pieces that are involved in trying to have a baby other than penis, vagina, you know, here's the baby. Um, there's so many moving pieces to it. There's so many components and aspects to it. There's so many steps. And when you have that many people and that many steps and things involved, there are so many things that can go wrong (laughs) or not the way that you thought, or there are so many things that are out of your hands. And I think that one of the struggles for couples who are going through this is, I mean, one, if you're talking about a heterosexual couple, you know, Sometimes you're talking about maybe there is one or both of them who are unable to provide what traditionally you would be able to provide in order to have a baby the old fashioned way. And so that in and of itself can put a strain on the relationship because either you have one person who's feeling, you know, very less than or like I'm not able to do what I'm supposed to be doing or maybe you're frustrated at the other person because this is something you really want. But you know, roadblock after roadblock and we just can't do it. So that automatically is going to put or potentially could put a strain on a relationship. And even backing up, depending on where you're at in your relationship before you even start trying to have kids is also something to to look at. Because if you are talking about a couple who maybe they've been together for a while, they're pretty, they have a pretty good foundation, they trust each other, they, they care about each other, they've been through things that they've overcome. And so you know that this relationship is pretty resilient. It's very different than maybe a couple who maybe they think that by having a baby, they'll come closer. They'll, you know, it'll make their relationship stronger. Or, you know, if they've been struggling and frustrating and they're on their last you know, leg and are wanting to just push through and still try to have a baby, that couple is going to have a very different time than that first couple I was talking about. And so being able to, to plug into your why and, and of why you want to have a baby and what do you think that it's going to do for your family is going to be key. Because at the end of the day, if you go through all this and you don't have a baby, what is there left? What's happening with your relationship? Because you still are together, (laughs) Potentially, right. you still need to be together. You still, this is still your partner. And, and I would so, imagine that it, yeah. you know, for some couples, it makes or breaks the relationship. It can, yeah. it can, and it's it's difficult when you are going through this process. And by the way, spending a lot of money. This is not cheap. This is not free. Um, and I know that there are definitely folks who feel like being able to reproduce you know, is, should be my right. I should have the right to be able to reproduce and thus it should be covered by my insurance. And right now we're not at that place. You know, it's It's getting better though, would you say? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I think, I think it is. I think there are some folks who have insurance that will cover some components of it, 
But but that's then, also higher socioeconomic, very corporate white you America. Have, to have a really Let's good job it, already yeah, to get the good it, insurance. It's white it's America. Kind of, by making it more accessible, it also makes it more accessible to people who are at other socioeconomic, right. you know, backgrounds. It's like, I have a good job. I'm able to support a family should I have one. But that doesn't mean that I'm able to pay for, you know, IVS and IV, IUIs and, and, you know, getting an egg donor or getting a surrogate and all that kind of stuff. That doesn't mean that I can afford all of that. Um, but but yeah, so so it, it can put a strain on, on the relationship. It can definitely you know, be a financial blow to the the couple as well. And that could be something that can affect the relationship. And then in some ways, it can bring a couple closer by being able to, you know, work together and trying to gain and get this goal that they're looking for. And that's having a baby. But that also comes with additional communication that comes with being really understanding that comes with having a support system, you know, all of those things that you will need in order to get through kind of a rough time like this. I also find that um, one of the missing pieces as as a culture, and and I understand why, is is support for the men during mm-hmm. these times. Absolutely. And I'm not saying that that we need to diminish the support for women in any ways. But just that uh, men do it themselves. I, I listen to men dismissing their own feelings and their own experiences in the room with me, having, Absolutely. you know, when there's a miscarriage or when they're having struggles um, getting pregnant uh, and really identifying all the pain and all the struggle with their wife's yeah. experience and feel like they're not entitled to theirs. Totally. For sure. <laughs> like they can't have their feelings. And because... The support is, is, it's assumed that if you hear about somebody having a miscarriage or having difficulty having a baby in a, in a heterosexual couple, you are automatically drawn to, oh, she must be going through blah, 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 and it must be so hard, which is true. But the, the, the men involved are definitely the, the kind of silent sufferers. And I think that it's important to make sure that they're okay, too, because the the caregivers of the caregiver <laughs> or the, the the person who is is offering that support to somebody who is going through that they need they need help too it's just like you know therapists need support because we're doing all of these things and 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 here for our clients who are suffering but that doesn't mean that we don't have our own things going on that we need to process too so so the the, the partners is really important to have somebody and have the ability to, to talk to like, yeah, you, you're not the one who was pregnant. And yes, you want to make sure that, you know, she has what she needs, but you need to have that as well. And you need somebody to talk to as well. And you would be surprised how many men are going through the same thing that you are and are able to talk to each other. If y'all are able to, to do that and have that space. I've definitely had I heard about some of the men that we've worked with, and this is, again, more so on the surrogacy side where, you know, my, my wife is a surrogate, she's going through blah, 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 and, you know, she's the one who has to do all the hard work, you know, it's, it's easy for me, and I go, yeah, to some extent, until something happens, and then it's not so easy for you, and you don't have an outlet where you can go to work through that, you know, so it's, it's definitely important to support the supporters, for sure. So what kind of people are ideal candidates to be surrogates? Because that's another, that's a whole other piece Amazing. of the puzzle. Yeah. 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 
if somebody wants to be a surrogate, they well, for for one, they need to have had their own kids. So you can't be a surrogate if you haven't had a baby before. Really? Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> so you this, you know, because you, you want to know what your experience has been being pregnant and also postpartum. You know, if you're somebody who's struggling, who struggled with postpartum or, you know, had kind of a rough go with it, it's probably not a good idea that you then sign up to, to be a surrogate and have to go through that again. Because at the end of the day, we want everybody to be healthy <laughs> after it's all said and done. And I would hate for somebody to be like, yeah, I, you know, I had postpartum and I had this and I had that, but it's okay. I want to push through that and I'm going to, I'm going to be a surrogate. And it's like, yeah, but at what cost? Or you maybe know? they don't disclose that. Yeah, but if they if they don't disclose like how they were feeling, that's one thing. But their medical record, every, oh. all of that is documented when you you know are pregnant and okay. have a baby, and your follow up appointments and how you're feeling and whether you get diagnosed with postpartum depression. All of that is in your medical records, and so um, you need to, to to show that as well. So there there are some things to kind of get around that. But okay, so they have to have a baby, no postpartum. Yeah, so- you, you have to you have to have had a baby, you know, had, a I guess, a pretty smooth pregnancy, if, you know, at all possible. And then, you know, if you are somebody who has a support system, you know, if you have whether it's your partner, whether it's your, um, you know, parent or sibling or whatever, you need to have a, a support system that's around to be able to help you through whatever bumps in the road there might be. Um, Janelle, is it just about money? Can we just, I'm so, I always hear all the time, oh, let's just, you know, get that money. Let me just, you know, be a surrogate so we can get the money. It's, (laughs) I I have not had a baby before. So I obviously can't say this with absolute certainty, but I don't think that there is an amount of money that would be sufficient to have to go through pregnancy for somebody else. I feel like the money is, is one aspect of it, but really I think that people who do this are drawn to do this because they really want to help somebody else have a baby. I would and hope that's, so. Well, I, I know so from the people that I work with. Yeah. Um, and that when you have your own kids, you have your own experience, and the the thing that you hear so much from other people is that I just really want to be able to help somebody else have the experience that I had. I've had people who say that they break down in tears thinking about that relative or that person that they know who can't get pregnant as easily as they can, who can't, you know, deliver a baby in, you know, three hours, two pushes and the baby's out. And, you know, it's, it's so easy for me. It's so hard for somebody else. I want to be able to help somebody else out. And, um, it's just, you know, there, there is compensation that is provided, but it's like, you're putting your body through significant things. People die in childbirth. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's not, a really easy thing, you know, for somebody to do. And talking about relationships, I mean, if you're somebody who's married, this could absolutely be something that could affect your marriage and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, your relationship. So I feel like there are a lot of things that go into it that I don't think compensation for being a surrogate could, could ever really repay. You know what I mean? And it's so nice to hear that there's a very good screening process, you know, that it's not just, Oh, okay. You want to be a surrogate sign up and you're in. Right. Right. Yeah. There, there are definitely things that one has to do in order to be able to do. And, and there are a lot of different ways that people are able to be surrogates. So like if you want to have a baby and you have somebody who wants to be your surrogate, you could get an attorney drop contracts and just go and do it. So it's, it's, they're very different ways that people go through it. I happen to work for 
an agency that has a very thorough screening process that takes months. So, and there are other agencies that are out there that are like that for that very reason. Like you want to make sure that everybody involved knows exactly what's going on. You want to make sure that this person is the prime candidate to be able to do this and come out on the other end as healthy, if not happier and healthier than when they started. Um, because then you, you start to think about like exploitation and you start to think about these negative things that, you know, somebody's feeling used or, you know, and, or being guaranteed these things that are not actually in the realm of possibility. Like everything needs to be out on the table. Everything needs to be open and honest. And we need to know kind of what's going on for you before having, being able to go through that process. As we move into our wrap up section of our conversation. I, I just want to know, uh, what are some of the most important relationship lessons that you've learned in your life or any overall sexual relationship advice you might give our listeners? I would, I mean, it's going to sound corny, but communication is so important. It's so important. Communication being able to communicate, feeling comfortable enough to communicate with the other person or be honest with that person and know that you're not going to have some negative explosive reaction or, you know, just being able to communicate and have that connection with somebody, in my opinion, is more important than anything. It's more important than how that person looks. It's more important than how that person performs in bed. Like it's, it's so important because it, I feel it's the root to so many things. Like the ability to have a thriving sex life is all around communication. It's all around making sure that you're checking in with your partner or you know what it is that you're going to do beforehand, knowing that you have that person's full consent and they have yours. Like there's so many things that just boil down to communication. Are you able to talk about it? And if you're not able to talk about it, then let's figure out how we can do it because you're not going to get around it. You know, we're not going to get around issues by pretending they don't exist, not in the long term, maybe for that day. I want to say that communication, you're right. It's the core uh, existence of any attachment that um, Mm -hmm. can take place. And so often we see in our practices, uh, you know, that someone says, oh my God, we have great sex, but I can't hold a conversation with him. Mm -hmm. Or I have this deep, meaningful conversations and then, you know, we can't connect in bed. But mm-hmm. the beautiful thing that is going on with our teens today is maybe it's great because we're highlighting consent so much is that the teenage boys, what I'm hearing now is before they even hold the girl's hand or kiss, do you consent? That's what they mm-hmm. they say now. Do you consent? Yeah. Now I'm going to give you a hug. Do you consent? I mean, it, yeah. they're so fucking scared <laughs> to touch anybody <laughs> well, and in this like, Me Too generation. People say that as a joke, like, oh, you know, I'm going to have to ask, well, is it okay if I do this? Is it okay if I do that? And I go, oh, my God. Yes, you get yeah. it. Yeah. You, you you get it. Yes, you have to ask. Yeah. You, you yeah. can't just smack my ass when I walk past you, stranger person. You know, if I if you ask me out on a date and I say no, you have to just accept it. Respect it. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. But at least they're a little <laughs> bit hypersensitive more than ever before. So that's a nice thing to hear that's going yeah, on. Yeah, it's it's it's. You, you have to, and it's so funny because people want to fall back on, um, well, you know, it used to be that you could do this or it used to be, yeah. And it was messed up back then too. Yeah, exactly. Nobody, was saying it. <laughs> nobody felt safe enough to say it. It's like, yeah. yeah, I should be able to walk down the street and not worry that I'm going to get murdered because I told you don't talk to me. Like these are not, these are not big 
tasks that we have. <laughs> right. You know, the bar is pretty low. <laughs> so communication would be my biggest thing is That's like great. keep talking, keep talking. And it's it's it can be harder than it looks sometimes, but it's okay because if you have that foundation, it helps you to build to where you will be able to pick up those cues and you'll be able to get to know your partner in a way where you won't have to do so much of this chow chow stuff. You can you have that foundation, you're able to talk, and so you know what to anticipate. And sometimes you get it wrong, and that's fine, and then you reset, and then you do it again. Talking loud and clear, saying just what we feel. Yeah. Excellent. Dream I was just going to say, she's so loving and kind and beautiful inside <laughs> well, and out. I know. We went to grad school together, <gasps> and um, almost immediately I was like, I want to know her. <laughs> she's like, she, she's the shit. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Wendy's dream journal. Dream journal exercise. Dream journal exercise. Um, yeah, so I think for this exercise, maybe a nice thing would be to freely associate thinking about gender, sexuality, um, observations, curiosity, questions, really get into maybe a sexual history and think about any themes or patterns. But I'm really curious about the question marks. What do you want to explore that you haven't explored? What do you wish would happen that has not happened? And, um, you know, short term and long term also, since we've talked about so much, you know, I'm trying to jam it all in, you know, but also... (laughs) Short term and long term, what do you want as far as, um, you know, if you're you're a man or a woman, you know, do we want children? Do we not want children? Clarifying. Do we want anal sex? Do we not want anal sex? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, but really hone in on sexual um, identity and and layers of growth in that area. Yeah, we talked about so much. I just it, it, yeah. it's so interesting. I was also thinking when you were saying that maybe also some questions that you maybe have always at any age, whether you're young or old, of questions that maybe you're not sure about, like what's the difference between chlamydia and gonorrhea? And <laughs> oh you my know, gosh, and- I'm talking to a teen now, and she it's her first boyfriend, and she's asking me, okay, so um, is he allowed to kiss my breasts? And I said. Do you want him to? <laughs> and she said, "Yeah, I do." And I said, "Then he can do it." <laughs> like it's so cute to find, you know, that she's asking me everything, you know, about what is what if he takes my hand and he puts it on his penis, is that okay? Is that okay with you? She yeah. said, "Yeah, it's very okay." And I said, "Then it's okay." <laughs> so communication again. Yeah. You know? No. Do you have anything that comes to mind? You know, I just, I just think that, and I guess this is, this is what we've been talking about is for people who maybe who are already in a relationship, but maybe those who are seeking and are trying to figure out what it is that they want before they get into it. Like just, you could literally just jot down all of the aspects that you would like to have in a partner, be they personality, sex, sexuality, you know, whatever. And then a good exercise would be to then take that list and look and see how many of those things that you have. Yes. I do that with clients all the time. You know, what is, what is that, you know, and if there are things on the list that you don't have, are they things that you're working on or striving for? Love it. Love it. You know, and if you're not, why not, you know, and, you know, thinking about expectations of your partner that you don't meet yourself and just thinking about that. And what's that, 
what's that coming what's coming up for you when you think about that and maybe it becomes more of a list for you to grow and then be able to meet somebody who compliments you are lovely oh my god you just where are you located how can people find you Sure. Um, I am located in LA. I, uh, my practice is actually in the, um, I guess it'd be like West LA area. My practice is off of uh, Olympic and Barrington, but I also see, (laughs) I also see clients out of an office on off of Fairfax and Wilshire. So I'm in that area. Um, I usually see clients on Saturdays and on weekday evenings. So that's available. I am just now getting into doing some, um, virtual sessions, so teletherapy, so over over um, video chat, to come, to be continued, that's coming on the horizon. And then people can find me at my website, it's www.justembracewellness.com. Um, you can go on there and contact me, and I also have information on there about workshops that I also provide as well. Um, and so then you're not if- busy at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm super bored. Um, <laughs> You can, I'm also on Instagram is also just embrace wellness. Um, I'm not super active on Instagram. I'm going to tell you, but I'm striving to, to put more things up, but my website is the best place to get me. So www.justembracewellness.com. Wonderful. All right. And as always, everyone, you can find me Jenny with an I at, uh, on Twitter at Jenny JV Wilson on Instagram at the preppy rebel. My email is jenniferjvwilson at gmail.com. And my website is jennyjvwilson.com. That's Jenny with an I. Uh, And we're both on Facebook, Wendy and I. And I think you can also find Just Embrace Wellness on Facebook as well. Yes. Um, yes. You can find Dr. Wendy on her YouTube channel and... And Twitter at AskDrWendy. And that's D-R-W-E-N-D-Y. Instagram, I am... Dr. Wendy, and you can email me at Dr. Wendy, Dr. Wendy O'Connor at gmail.com. My website, www. Doctor spelled out doctor, D O C T O R, Wendy O'Connor.com. And uh, I say that because there's a blonde woman in Greenwich, New York, who is <laughs> Wendy O'Connor. I was Wendy Schwartz, but now I'm Wendy O'Connor. So, ah. uh, you know, if you're looking for a blonde in New York, I ain't it. <laughs> <laughs> so we keep getting each other's phone calls and messages. So, so I have to spell it the DR way instead of your R, Wendy O'Connor. Oh, God, complicated. So we want to thank you for listening. Thank Please you. send us questions, comments, or topic suggestions. Uh, you can subscribe, toss us some stars, leave us a review on iTunes. And until next time, as I always say, be as authentically yourself as you can possibly stand. And as Wendy always says, just stay open. Janelle, thank Thank you so much for coming. Yay. So much fun. I hope we didn't take too much time out of your morning. Perfect. Let me do my do now. We had a great time talking to Janelle, and I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. It was an incredibly enlightening conversation. It felt to me like the overall theme was we need to continue working to destigmatize sexual differences, preferences, identities, as long as nobody's getting hurt, as we've talked about many a time before. And we want to reduce shame 
around sex wherever we can. So that's why we like to have conversations like this and learn a lot. Uh, one of the other things that I thought was really important to leave you guys with was to remember the conversation we had about allyship. And also just, it applies to the sex stuff as well, that we all need to work on speaking up and asking questions, no matter how dumb they are, and practice sitting back and listening. If we can learn how and when to do this, then I think we'll all learn a lot more. So, happy and healthy sex to you. I don't need you to tolerate my existence, but what have you. Yes, <laughs> yes. We're going to have you back. For sure. You better. Yeah.